We're not going <laughs> to sing Merle Haggard here in the church, right? So I don't really like, know who that is. So yeah. oh wow, sorry, you're really holy. <laughs> I mean, I know the name, okay. but I don't know who it is either. Sounds southern. Alicia probably does. Wow. So I don't know. Wow. And you southern. went to what Walnut Log Baptist Church or whatever? <laughs> One Sunday. That's right. deer in the back of the we truck. Went down in the river to pray. <laughs> All right. Um, Singing about that. <laughs> Who shall wear stone All right. We should close. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we don't know the words, actually. All right. God is the creator of worship and our worship to him. And then what we're talking about now is singing and, and singing to him. And so God has established how that can be done, how that should be done, right? To glorify him and to praise him and to honor him. And so it's important for us then to, to see what that is that God wants and to obey it. Because again, he is the, he is the creator. He's the one who deserves it. All right, welcome to Following Him. We hope you're doing well out there. Thank you for joining us uh, today as we gather together to discuss another uh, important topic. Following Him is the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church and is brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Our goal together as we... uh, uh, chat together and discuss things together is to encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and to connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever noticed how different churches worship in different ways? Sometimes you can go to one church and the singing and the music can sound uh, one way, perhaps very traditional. In some, some ways it can sound like it comes from hundreds of years ago. And then you can go to another church not far down the road and the singing, the music, the worship feels completely different. It feels quite contemporary. We can go to all sorts of churches, even nearby in our community, and find diverse ways of worshiping God, um, perhaps some better than others, but we can still notice that there's a diversity there. There's um, difference there. Why is that? What is it behind that that that... Um, that helps us and makes us sing differently and makes the sound of the music sound differently. Today we want to talk together about singing. And in particular, we want to talk about singing and as it's understood according to the scriptures. As Christians, we believe that uh, the scriptures are to be our ultimate authority in all things. And that includes how we worship God. And, And part of the worship of God is singing. That's what we do as a church together. We sing. And so we want to gather together today as the pastoral staff here at MNBC. We're sitting around a round table and we want to discuss singing in the Bible. Uh, with me today, I've got Tim Michelangeli, Scott Slater, Matt Bates, and I am Spencer Snow here together with you. So brothers, let's start off right away. Why should we think about music in the church? Well, I mean, it's an important topic because the Bible speaks of it. It's something commanded of us to sing together. And so if Scripture would go so far as to command it of us, then we need to know what the Bible truly says then about it, right? And its purpose in our life, the purpose of it in the life of the church in general. And you don't want to get that wrong. I mean, as Bible believers, we want to follow Scripture the best that we possibly can and understand it in all facets of life. And this, this happens to be one of those facets. 
Yeah, I mean, I uh, I thought of this topic and shot it to you, Tim, just to uh, you know, I was thinking about this this uh, issue. It's one of those issues in church life in general that is is important. Um, in, in the church, because the Bible commands it, the Bible talks about singing, but also we realize that there's quite a diversity of understanding in the church. So I think it's a helpful topic. It's important that we discuss it, and we want to dive into what the scriptures say to us about singing and uh, why we do it, what we should be doing, why is it important. So I think one of the things we can do, I want to break down as we go through the scriptures today. I've got basically three big sections in the Old Testament. I want us to think about singing through the Bible. First of all, we'll sing with Moses, then singing with David, and then singing with Isaiah um, in the Old Testament before we get into the New Testament, because singing starts in the Old Testament, doesn't it? I want to, first of all, let's, let's look at together at Exodus chapter 15. Um, there, what has just happened in Exodus chapter 15? What's just happened in the previous chapters? If you could summarize those chapters leading up with Moses and the people of Israel. I mean, we're looking at the story of the Exodus, right? So we're dealing with Egypt and the plagues. We're dealing with God's deliverance, using, using Moses, obviously, as a leader in that to help lead the people out. Um, what a what a time that had to have been a part of, you know, as an Israelite, really no matter where you were in the pecking order, even of Israel, but just in bondage for so long, slaves for so long, just working tirelessly to then all of a sudden God coming and intervening, right? And, and using Moses and then all these plagues taking place and happening. And this time that you've been waiting for, for so long, all of a sudden really coming to fruition. And fi- I mean, I, I can't imagine what that had to feel like finally walking out, you know, <laughs> of that place that you'd been in bondage. So, I mean, that, think of how many people, that, that's all they ever knew. They were born there, died there, slaves. Mm. And now all of a sudden, this generation gets to walk out because God redeemed them. That's, I, I mean, what an experience, right? And that's where we kind of find ourselves here. Right, right. So, so they've just gone through the Red Sea, right? Mm-hmm. They've just been saved miraculously. Um, uh, the Egyptians are gone. They're dead. The enemies of God's people have been conquered. God's people have been saved by a miraculous way that only God could devise. And yet we notice right away in verse 1, we read in chapter 15, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Pastor Scott, is it, imp- is it significant that the first song recorded is about God's salvation? Is that significant, do you think, in the, New Te- in the Old Testament scriptures? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, because what it shows you is that Moses and Israel's song ultimately was a response to that salvation. It was a praising God for the salvation. And I think as we continue to go through scripture and see that that is a it's going to become a recurring pattern. Right. Um, that what we sing uh, is it has specific content a lot of times, and it's it's a response first and foremost to what God has done, worshiping Him for what He's done, praising Him for yeah. what He's done. Yeah, it, it's it, it's 
it's it's wonderful to realize that this is the first instinct. This is kind of it's almost like it's spontaneous on their part, right? The Lord has just done this amazing thing. The first thing they think about doing is we want to sing praises to God. Mm, yeah, He has done it, and they say, "I will sing praises to." God. No, it's interesting that, so there's Moses's in verse 1, and you could read this whole song. It's beautiful. He talks about how God has, by his power, just destroyed uh, the Egyptians. In verse 11, Moses says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders, right? God has shown, I am not like all the Egyptian gods. Yeah. I am not like all the idols. And the people of Israel are saying, there is no one like you, God. Mm-hmm. You're in a class all by yourself. And that's the way we, mm-hmm. we respond as well. Um, and then I think it's interesting here, though, at the very end in verse 21, Miriam is out there singing, um, and she's got a tambourine in her hand. The women are out with tambourines rejoicing. And then in verse 21, where we read, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. There seems to be this aspect of singing that it's not only me praising the Lord, but it's me and singing. It's, it's Miriam here at least saying, I want you to sing as well, mm-hmm. encouraging other people to praise the Lord. It's horizontal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's this encouragement to, um, that we want other people to rejoice in God. So there's not only me speaking to God, but it's also in yeah. singing, the person singing is speaking to other people people mm-hmm. as well, right? Yep. And I think we'll find that dynamic throughout the rest of Scripture. Right. There's the, the vertical dynamic to God and the, vertic- and the yep. horizontal yep. dynamic. It's the reminder that e- even the Egyptians, and you can even fast forward to today, I know we're talking about the Old Testament right now, but they weren't saved as individual Israelites. They were saved corporately. You know, they were part of the people of God. And so salvation is not just something that has happened to them as an individual, as an individual that has been saved, they've been made part of a people. And so those people together join their voices to praise the God that has saved them. Great point. Great point. Corporate salvation. So we read there about steadfast love in verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. It's interesting. That word steadfast love is going to be echoed all throughout the Old Testament, right? It's going to be re-echoed throughout the Psalms, throughout the whole Old Testament. God's steadfast love, his commitment, his grace, his mercy, his unfailing loyalty to his people um, is going to be sung about the rest of the Old Testament. And ultimately, we're going to see that sung about in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So as we keep going on through uh, with Moses, I want to point out one other thing, that how does all of this fit in with how we're supposed to worship God in general? Because... We have this, this verse in Deuteronomy 12.32 where um, God tells Moses, and Moses is teaching the people of Israel, he says this, Everything I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Now that's an interesting principle because it highlights to us that whenever we worship God, we're supposed to do what he wants us to do, right? Israel was not supposed to just invent any old way they wanted to worship God. Uh, what does this say to us and, uh, about worship? What does this principle mean, and why does God say this, Pastor Tim? Well, I mean, so God is the creator, right? God has always been and we, we have to recognize him in that. God, in being the creator, has also established 
rules, right? He's established order within nature. He's established all these things. He's the creator of all of all of that. We we can't say that we are. That comes to worship as well. God is the creator of worship and our worship to him. And then what we're talking about now is singing and, and singing to him. And so God has established how that can be done, how that should be done, right? To glorify him and to praise him and to honor him. And so it's important for us then to, to see what that is that God wants and to obey it. Because again, he is the, he is the creator. He's the one who deserves it. Um, and so there's more to it. It's not just that simple. I know we're going to get into that a little bit more, but I mean, that's why this is important. He's saying, I've given you these commandments, do it right? I've given you these things to do. Do them. Don't add to them. Don't subtract to them. Just, just follow them, right? I'm the creator of all things. Trust me. That falls in line with worship as well. I think it's interesting. If, if you look at the verses just before that, you see a little bit of the context of that. And that really, I think the context will show that this was not simply God being stingy. It was actually God being gracious and caring to protect his people and their hearts. And I'll just read it starting in 1229. It says, when the Lord your God cuts off before you, the nations whom you go in to dispossess and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their God saying, how did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. And then he says in verse 32, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. And so we as worshipers of the one true God do not look at the world around us and say, well, how do they worship their gods? Mm -hmm. We have the one true and living God. And we don't, he, he tells us this so that we would not be ensnared because it's easily... It's easy if we start worshiping our God, the one true God, in the way that the world worships their gods. I think it's it's easy for us and what will eventually happen in Israel that they find that they are no longer worshiping the one true God. Right. Well, They're we, worshiping the world's gods. Yeah, we, we get it backwards so often, and that's what God is trying to set straight here. We don't worship God for me to him because then... I'm trying to worship him in my way. Right. I guess the best example I could give of that would be, you know, I, I want to do something nice for Pastor Matt, and so I'm going to make him my favorite dish and give it to him. <laughs> and then he's, I give it to him, and he has this weird look on his face. Oh, you're allergic to that. I mean, you would die if you ate that, right? <laughs> that wasn't a good, uh, maybe my heart was right, but it was not a good form of, of, of worship there, of being sure. nice, right? A good gift. But now... It almost became an insult. Almost, point. yeah. But if but if Pastor Matt says, well, my, my favorite dish is spaghetti, and then I bring him spaghetti, that's mm-hmm. what he wants. That's what's going to delight him. Mm-hmm. It makes it a lot easier on me. Mm-hmm. makes it better on him. And, and so I can't go to God and say, God will really like this if I do this to him. Mm. No, God, God tells me what he, mm-hmm. what he likes, right, and what he mm-hmm. wants. And, and, and so, I mean, I guess I bring that up because... What came to my mind when you were saying that, Scott, was today man has defined love separate from God. And so we say God has to be happy with this because it's loving and God is loving. But we take our definition of love, Mm -hmm. not his definition of love, right? We've twisted that, something very simple. Mm -hmm. That's that's kind of the point that I'm trying to drive there. That's really good. 
Scott, you were saying earlier too about how these things are based off the first two commandments. Yeah. The Ten Commandments. Could you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you just think about it like this, I mean, worship and singing uh, is, uh, or just worship in general, rather, it's so important to God that it's actually fully encapsulated into the first two commandments. I mean, the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God has identified that he alone is the proper object of our worship. Mm -hmm. But in the second commandment, he explicitly commands, in similar fashion to what we just read in Deuteronomy, thou shalt have no graven images. Mm. God was commanding Israel to not make graven images in the sense of we need to have an image to represent our God, to worship him through. God says, no, 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 no. That is how the nations around you worship their gods. That's not how you worship me. And so that second commandment, I mean, I remember growing up uh, when I would hear the Ten Commandments, I always thought that that was a little weird because it sounded like the same commandment to me. But the second commandment is actually explicitly as regards worshiping God. We don't worship God through graven images. And that's just an instance where God has given us an explicit instruction for how we are to worship him. So the idea that God doesn't, like what you were talking about, Tim, the idea that God doesn't care how we worship him so long as we are genuine, that's obviously not true. Mm -hmm. He does care. There's an explicit command in Scripture, do not worship me in this way. Which leads us as Christians that want to be faithful to worship the one true God to say, are there other ways that God cares about how we worship him? Exactly. He's told us not only who to worship, but how to do it. Because how we do it is ultimately going to impact what we think about who he is, Hmm. right? It's going to impact that dramatically. How we sing, how we worship him. Um, is going to influence who we think God is, whether we're doing that intentionally or, or not. So I think it's a great principle as we think about singing overall um, and worship overall, and we're thinking specifically about singing, perhaps I should say, that we want this to fall in line with, we want to follow what the Lord tells us to do. Right. And when we worship, we're not just making whatever we think we should do. God has told us and given us explicit guidance in certain areas and general guidance in other areas about how he wants us to do this. Really quickly, and we don't have to spend much time on this part, but it's interesting, at the very end of Deuteronomy, Moses writes a song. God tells him to write a song and to teach it to Israel. And quickly, I want us to note here in Deuteronomy 31, 19. Um, Scott, do you have that in front of you? I do. Could you read that? Deuteronomy 31, 19. It says, Now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. I think it's interesting there to highlight the fact of uh, that singing is meant to teach. Moses is writing this song because he's supposed to put it inside them. To uh, uh, it's, it's a memorization tool, perhaps. It's a vehicle to put the word in them. He's saying, I want you to teach it to them. And I think that's a helpful connection because I think sometimes we don't think about singing as teaching. Mm-hmm. But that is an explicit connection that, that God has given us in Moses here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then jump forward to the New Testament. You have it in Colossians 3. Uh, teach and admonish one another uh, with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Like, so it's Old Testament and New Testament. Yeah, same idea carries over. Um, how does music teach us God's Word? How can it help do that? Well, it helps us to meditate on God's Word. I mean, if we... 
Right. The danger here is you're just singing words. You're not really thinking about it. But if you're if you're singing how you how you should be singing and thinking about the words that you're saying, and as you as you learn a song, maybe maybe as silly as uh, you know the fruits of the spirit that help you memorize the fruits of the spirit. It could just be words that you're saying. But if you're if you're really thinking about it, and you're thinking about the fruits of the spirit, you're meditating on that, right? And and it's to a tune that helps you to remember each one of those. And, and so then it, it enables you to do that meditation throughout the day or throughout the week or whatever it is as you're, as you're humming, humming that or, mm-hmm. or singing that. And so it's really, it's really helpful, I know, to me in that, in that area because it, I find it harder just to memorize a passage, just like, hey, go memorize this passage. Ugh. It was the same with spelling. I remember as a kid, you know, trying to remember how to spell something was hard, but if you put it to like a little tune all of a sudden spelling became a little easier and then you remembered exactly how to, how to spell yeah. that word. It's the same thing. And I, I think God is a, a good God and that he gave us that, mm-hmm. right? To right. help know him in that way. Yeah. But there's something with singing too. I, I don't know this 100%, but I feel like there's something to do with singing too that connects the heart. Yeah. Because I felt that even as I would listen to songs I shouldn't have listened to growing up, right? And the impact that they would have on your heart. And, and, you know, I, I remember the excuse that I would give or friends in church would give. We just like the melody or we just like the beat. We're not yeah. too worried about the words. But yeah. as I grew up, you would realize the the, the impact those words actually did have on yes. your heart yeah. and your thinking. Yeah. And so um, there, I think there's a deep connection there. Yeah, and that's that's actually what I was just thinking and, and trying to think of. And it led me to uh, Psalm 119.11. When David says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a difference between reading something and learning it with your head, but we are actually commanded and taught to let God's word impact our hearts in that deep sense. And there's something about singing God's truth and God's word that does that on a level that that it goes a bit deeper. I'm not saying it's the only way to do that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there are times yeah. when we study, we learn, or we're praying, and the same thing happens. But song does that too um, uh, for different people in different ways. But um, but singing something is a great way to implant God's Word in your heart. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Yeah, as Luther would say that uh, next to theology, music is the greatest gift. Hmm. Um, and so I think that that's, that's, that's right. That's why God gave it to us. It's a gift, um, and whenever it's abused, um, it can lead to uh, to serious things, actually. I mean, some people say, well, it's just music, mm-hmm. but it is music, and music is quite potent, actually. Mm. Very. Uh, quite yeah. powerful. Very. Um, so, so, yeah, so that's what God's given to us. So as we continue moving on here through, we sung with Moses, as we called it here, um, as we head towards David, um, really where a lot of singing starts to uh, take place again in the temple and with the psalms and, and under David's sons, uh, Solomon, uh, for instance. Um, we see that David, he's a shepherd, but he's also a musician, and he's a pretty good one, actually. He is called the sweet psalmist of Israel. And so David, we see, is the one whom uh, is, is really the, the, the great king of Israel, He's the one that Israel looks up to as the, as the, uh, the greatest of all the monarchs of the Old Testament. And when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem in, in 1 Chronicles 16, we read that, that David appointed specific Levites to be in charge of the singing in the house of the Lord. We also read that, that David had certain instruments even made for giving thanks to the Lord. 
Why do you think David was so intentional to choose the people and the instruments that would be used in singing? Why was he so intentional in doing that? It was probably just his family. No. (laughs) 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 I think... um, I think David picked the best of the best, and it was because it wasn't to highlight the individuals, you know, it wasn't for their esteem, but it was because he believed that the Lord deserved the best of the best, and so he wanted those who were really good at singing to constantly be offering that praise and worship to the Lord in the temple. You know, uh, same with those with the instruments, the most beautiful instruments he could find, the people who were the best at playing them, to lift that praise to the Lord in that way. And it kind of goes against maybe what we've heard our whole life of just make a joyful noise to the Lord, and it's just as good as anything else. And that's true. We should. Not everybody's been blessed to sing really well. Um, But there's something to be said about trying to give the Lord the best that you have. And I think that's what David was doing here. Yeah, yeah he was wanting people with uh, skill, wasn't he? And there's, there is an aspect of where um, we don't want to overestimate um, our ability to get the right people in the right places. But on the other hand, we shouldn't be lazy yeah. and slothful, should we? On the other hand, David, David cared about doing the best that he could mm-hmm. do for the Lord, not because it was about, you know raising the roof for David, right? It was about the fact that we are here to celebrate the Lord and we want to give him our best because we love God. But it, and it speaks to professionalism, which yeah. I'm, I, I kind of want to be big on at times. And I, I try not to be slack in that area personally, but you know, we're going to get to application in the next podcast. I know, but if we're going to, if we're going to lead a worship service, let's do it well is what I mean. Like we might not have the best singers in the world, but the ones that we have, they can practice. They can be here on time, right? They can know the words. They can do these, you know, it can all be ordered in the correct way. Like that's what I mean by professionalism. Like we are giving our best to the Lord here. We're not coming up here and winging it. You know, we're not just saying, let's just, let's just do this now, I guess. No, that's not, that's not giving it our our best and, right. and we want to give the Lord our absolute best when we come together to to worship him and we see that sense here with David right a, a sense of professionalism in it and those are the ones that are tasked to lead mm-hmm. this I don't think what you're saying is that that means that you should only sing when you're gathered with your church if no, you're no, good no. at it no, right? No, right we no, all no. sing but yeah, when yeah. when we look to those who would lead us in the task yeah. There are those that are gifted to do certain things, and those are the ones that are put in that role, just like there are ones that are gifted to do other roles in the church as well. Yeah, and I mean, heart plays into it and all that too. I, I've been in services, I, I, I know of like down south, you know, backcountry churches that you would think, but those sometimes were some of the best services singing-wise. I remember this one church I went to, uh, Pastor Roy took me there, we were down there hunting, Walnut Log Baptist Church was the name of it. And I'm like, where in the world are you taking me? I mean, that's exactly what I'm thinking, right? And we, the, the guy gets up there and he says, we're going to sing this little light of mine. And I'm like, what? Why are we singing this little light of mine? But that was one of the best songs I've ever heard sung. Like, 
everybody in that little church, there's like 100 of us maybe, 120, sang so loud. The guy up there was singing and leading, nothing showy. And we sang this little light of mine. And I mean, that had an impact on me. I remember thinking, these, these people here in nowhere United States, right, are worshiping God today right here just as well as, as anybody else. I remember that having a, a huge impact on me. And it wasn't because they were all awesome singers. Mm-hmm. It's because they were, they were being faithful to yeah. what God mm-hmm. had called yeah. them to do in that time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just remember that having a big impact on me. It's interesting to hear the intentionality that David is doing. He's also doing it because God's worship is important. And so he doesn't want... Um, falsehood being proclaimed either, right? We read, one of the things that's interesting is in 1 Chronicles 25, 1, we read that these chosen singers prophesied, we're told. They prophesied. They were preaching. They were proclaiming God's word with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. I think that highlights, again, the teaching thing of what we're doing when we're singing. We are proclaiming God's word to other people. Um, we're, in a sense, we're preaching a sermon through song, congregationally. That's what they were doing. And I think that that highlights the fact that David was intentionally choosing the people, and and he chose people who could write songs that were biblically accurate. Um, Some of these songs, like, you know, the the, the Asaph, right? Those songs are in the Psalms. So these were inspired literature. Hmm. This is not just just some Hmm. random song that they found. This is inspired um, truth coming from God at his house to his people. And so I think that highlights, too, the, the, the revelation that's happening here. Every time that they were singing and whenever we're singing, we're proclaiming God's word, and he's revealing his will through his written word sung now to the people in the congregation. Uh, let me ask you this, though, Spencer. Normally you're asking us questions. Maybe Maybe you have this answer or not. I don't know if people know, but you're pretty well versed in music. Do you have a... You went a degree in it or something? Kinda. Uh, I think I think I think I graduated with a minor. A minor in, in, in what? In music. In music. Yeah. But you played in college level yeah. ensembles. But you're well versed in it, and Matt Matt is too. Wait. I actually think I saw a video of you on the internet playing trumpet not that long ago. Did you really? Indeed. I need oh, that video. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's me, the problem. You're not on social media to see it. <laughs> no, I'm not. I refuse. So what do you what does it mean when it do you think it means when it says like prophesied with leers, with harps and with symbols? Cause none of that involves words. Right. I would assume that there, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know this. I've not studied this passage. I'm assuming that they're, they're speaking, they're talking about the, the words and the lyres are being used as the accompanying. I, I would assume the prophesying is probably almost synonymous with singing. Okay. Right. So okay. as they're singing, they're prophesying through singing. Okay. Right? So that's how I'm taking it. I could mm. be wrong. That was just my initial thoughts. I don't know if you guys have any other. You have to look at the Hebrew, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, they're not just playing instruments, you know, and prophesying. They're, they're declaring some truths. They're communicating a message. And um, what came to my mind in that passage is, as we're thinking about that is that uh, when you pointed out that they're doing this, they're teaching this. A lot of times, you know, as I've uh, spoken with churches that are in the process of putting people into places that where they can serve you you only you don't specifically talking about the music side of the church the singing the worship side you're not only looking for people to put in those places that are talented musically 
and that can play an instrument. You're also, I think you said it a second ago, Spencer, but I just want to highlight it. You're looking for people that understand God's Word mm. and are solid theologically in thinking through the content of what they're singing. We're, obvi- we're not uh, only after a kind of sound and a quality of music, but also of a quality of the content of what we're singing. Yeah, yeah, because this is part of um, this is part of the ministry of the word, in mm-hmm. a sense, isn't it? Because we're 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 supposed to be speaking the word to each other, yeah, proclaiming God's glories, praising Him, but also saying to others, you know, speaking to them the truth, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly mm-hmm. as you're doing this. We're supposed to be speaking the gospel to each other, speaking and singing. Um, his truths, his attributes, who he is, and remind each other of who he is. And I think that's a that's a very serious thing. I think um, we can we can get to this maybe in the second podcast. Um, but one of the things that came to my mind when I was doing this is, you know, sometimes you'll you'll talk to people and you say, "Hey, um, can you can you teach this Sunday school class for me uh, Sunday? Because I'm not going to be there." And they'll say, "Yeah." But what if we told everybody in our church, "You need to be prepared because you're going to have some teaching to do." on Sunday. Well, what do you mean? Well, you're going to sing, aren't you? Hmm. We're going to need you to be prepared because you're going to need to address your brothers and sisters in the Lord Hmm. with these gospel truths. We need you to address them and admonish them in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Hmm. singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, right? So I think that there's a sense in which we all have a general in the, as the priesthood of all believers, we all have a teaching responsibility in a general sense, not in the pastor's sense, but Mm -hmm. in a general sense. And so um, I think that's a, that's a role that maybe we should highlight, that it's a privilege. It's a wonderful privilege to be addressed by each other. And, and um, that's what it seems like they were doing. They were prophesying to each other through music. So they sing in the temple. We see they sing about, they sing, um, about God's steadfast love again. They're singing about his grace. Um, and then, of course, we come to the Psalms. The Psalms, 150 of them, they, they take up a whole book. Um, Pastor Matt, what are the Psalms? Psalms are a book of songs in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a hymn book of sorts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is it, are they all the same? No, nope, there's a lot of different types of them. Yeah. Okay. What like what are some of those types? Uh, you know your your hymns. You have laments. Um, you have thanksgiving. Uh, you have like praise and adoration. Um, you have psalms of confession. Uh, you have psalms of uh, wisdom. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's, I mean, you have a list here that we're looking at. But, <laughs> uh, you could, yeah, I, I think I named them all a little bit just using different names than you sure. have here. I mean, what we see there, though, right, is there's, there's a diversity of emotion right. mm-hmm. utilized yeah. there. Um, You've got Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. And then you've got, especially the last, what, three or four of the Psalms are just praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then there's other ones like Psalm 88, I'm in the darkness, God, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, What does that teach us about singing? I mean, about the wide variety of emotions the Psalms contain. I think our singing should reflect that, Uh, that we... When we meet together as a congregation, it's okay to sing songs that are joyful. It's okay to sing songs that are sorrowful at the same time. 
Um, and it, I mean, just like our emotions sometimes change within 10 minutes of each other, it's okay. You know, it, I mean, we're human. Like, that's part of being human, I think. I think it's just, you know, the, talking corporately there. Yeah. Also, individually, I think it's important because there's a lot of Christians that I think have the mindset about themselves that if they don't, if they're not happy, if they're not joyful in the Lord, then something is wrong. And just having that variety of emotion in the Psalms teaches us that having a wide variety of emotion throughout your Christian life is normal, mm-hmm. and it's okay. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? We have an entire genre called the blues, right? <laughs> right. And why is that? Or country music, I guess we could say, right? <laughs> right? Often sad songs, but why does that bring comfort to people? It does bring comfort to people singing about sad things at times. And I don't want you know. You know well, what yeah, I think it's because sometimes we just feel we're alone in that misery. Yeah. And when you sing a song, you're like, somebody wrote this song, and yeah, it sold a million records. So others <laughs> must feel how I feel, right? Or yeah. whatever the case. Or at least be. I don't feel as bad as they did. Depending on the songs. Right. But I mean, the Psalms are the same way, right? You reflect back and you think, man, thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. David, who wrote this psalm is thinking exactly what I'm thinking right now. Right. Or or it could be that you've just you don't even know how to put into words yeah, how you sure, feel. Right. You just know that you feel this way and all of a sudden when you hear this song or you read this psalm you think to yourself, "Man, that is exactly how I feel." Mm-hmm. Where God, where are you? Yeah. Where are you right now? Why yeah. are you downcast on my soul? Yeah. You know? I I think you can also use it in a way that if you are down and your, you know, your soul is is cast down and and you're hearing a song, you're listening to a song about you know your your sin and and dwelling on your sin. Like, don't stay there. Don't stop there. Mm-hmm. Right. You need to go to a song that speaks to Christ and His substitutionary atonement for your sin, taking that sin and erasing it. Like, you don't dwell in in that that sin song <laughs> right yeah all of the psalms are like um they're they're musical pathways back to god from wherever yeah. we're at yeah sometimes it finds us in a place where we feel forsaken of god right but it right. brings us back to the right. father yeah, exactly or if we're in the darkness we sing psalm 88 and it brings us back to the father yeah or if we're having a great time we sing the latter few psalms mm-hmm. right and we bring back to the father yeah. But these are all pathways, trails that we all follow as uh, disciples of Jesus Christ um, from wherever we may be at, um, that, we're, that we're coming back to God. I think the Psalms are quite comforting for the range of emotions. And I think they, they teach us, there's uh, one article Carl Truman wrote, it's called, Can Miserable Christians Sing? Mm, that's a, yeah, that's good. <laughs> and so um, that's a great question, because I think one of the problems I've noticed, I think this is found in traditional hymnody. And by traditional, I mean probably from about the latter half of the 1800s to today. Um, we have triumphalistic hymns. Right. Everything's rosy. Yep. But there's many, many, many psalms where it's not rosy, but it's, but it's still very Christian mm-hmm. to sing about our struggles. Yeah. Because it doesn't end there, though. It brings us back mm-hmm. to the Father. Uh, I think if we're honest, most of our life feels struggle. Yeah. Right? And so... We're living in a fantasy world if we always act like we feel triumphant. Sure. And so I think it's just honest. And and so it's it's good. I mean, we've been we go through the Psalms and pray the Psalms in our prayer meetings. And how often, you know, is it the enemy encircles me, Lord? You know, I I feel like I'm going to be put to death again. And 
I think we can all relate to that more often than we relate to I am the king. I'm reigning over everything. We don't it's we yeah. rarely ever relate to that. Mm-hmm. Right. It just seems fake to to act triumphant all the time. We don't yeah. feel that way. Right. The cross does come before the crown. Mm-hmm. And so that's the same thing for us as his people. So so God's people had much to sing about. The Lord's redeemed them from Egypt. He's brought them to his land. He's given them a king. They've got the Psalms. They've got the temple. But eventually God's people would, of course, turn away from him and leave him, and they would be put into exile. And Isaiah, among other prophets, is looking ahead and sees the judgment coming. Um, and he, he sees that God's people have, have left him. They're serving idols. They don't trust him anymore. And yet Isaiah looks forward to a new king to come. Isaiah's looking forward to a promised one, a servant, who's going to come and uh, God's spirit is going to rest upon him and, and the, the earth is going to be full of the knowledge of the Lord in Isaiah eleven nine, All the nations of the world look to him. Who is Isaiah looking at when he's writing about this one? He's looking forward to Christ right? that we get to look back to and see. And it, I don't know if you got to this point yet. Sorry if I'm stealing your thunder. But it causes him to, to sing, right? Yeah. Causes him to worship and to praise. And the way he does that is, is singing as he looks forward to the, the Messiah, the true king, the one that Israel's waiting for. Yeah, he's, he's looking beyond all of these troubles and he's seeing Jesus. And here, right, he, he says, Isaiah 49, 13, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Isaiah 26, 19, You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Isaiah is looking ahead and sees the Holy One is coming. Um, this one who raises the dead, heals the lame, opens the tongue of the mute, and he redeems his people, he comforts them. And Isaiah is looking forward and is calling these people to sing as he looks forward to Jesus. Um, I think that's a wonderful reality that whenever Isaiah looks at the, the coming of Christ, there's full, it's full of joy. And I think that's, that, that joy should characterize our singing, among, along with sadness, right? But joy should characterize our singing as Christians, as we are now blessed to, to live in the reality that Isaiah was looking forward to. Um, it's interesting, too, the people who sing in Isaiah, right? One of them is, is the barren one in Isaiah 54, the one who couldn't bear children. I think he says, sing. Yeah. All the reversal of the people that are that shouldn't ordinarily sing because they don't have anything to sing about. Well, now we've got something to sing about, and it's Jesus. He's coming. So Isaiah's looking forward. He's looking forward to Jesus. And then eventually the, the gospel opens up, as we've talked about singing with Moses, singing with David, singing with Isaiah. And now I want to close here with singing with Jesus. Because as we go into the New Testament, singing continues. And the first couple of chapters of Luke's gospel, and I guess they're not technically called songs, but they're very poetic, aren't they? Yeah. The Magnificat of Mary. Yeah, Mary. And, um, and then the gospel, of course, with John the Baptist, opens up from Isaiah, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The reality is, is that what Isaiah was looking forward to has come to pass. God has come to dwell with us, and he has come to lay down his life, to die in our place and to atone for the sins of the world, to raise up the dead, and to take away the sins of the world. 
We don't see too much of Jesus singing, do we, in the New Testament? I'm not saying he didn't do it. We see him after the Last Supper singing. Right. Um, I don't know if we're given many details other than that, really. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. They're probably singing Amazing Grace. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that. That could be. Um, <laughs> you look very confident, Scott. Um, <clears throat> what else would it be? <laughs> what else would it be? Uh, one of the things I did notice, though, I think this is interesting. Two times on the cross, I can think of two times at least, Jesus quotes song lyrics. Psalm 22 22. and Psalm 31. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And into your hands I commit my spirit. Mm -hmm. What does this teach us about these songs and how they've impacted Jesus' life? That on the cross, two times Mm -hmm. he's quoting song lyrics. I think that's a hard question because he's uh, fully God and fully man, and so... He is the Word of God made flesh. And so how that impacted him, no doubt growing up with the Psalms, right? They sang the Psalms at mm-hmm. certain times. So he, he grew up with that. And earlier we said how they're important for us because they allow us to meditate. And so I don't think it would be correct to say, well, when he was on the cross, that just came to his mind because that's what he'd been meditating on his whole life was that. I, I think there's a little more to it with Christ on the cross. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that plays a role of him. I mean, it saturated his life, right? That this would have been the songs that he was singing mm-hmm. consistently in the synagogue or with his mm-hmm. parents in their homes. Uh, and so they would have been memorized. Just like just like I can go and, you know, you, you start some hymn that we sang a long time ago, all of a sudden it kicks back in and I, can, I know the words, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that was them with the Psalms, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and you see that coming out then on the, on the cross in a very real way, fulfilling... What right. that psalm meant, yeah, uh, but also it was in his heart. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, th- these uh, these uh, scriptures were hid in his heart, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And it's an amazing thing I think that shows the potency of of song that he quotes these things from the cross. Um, so so we see Jesus there doing that, and then after that, I don't know that personally from Jesus himself we see any singing other than the Last Supper, and he goes on. In the New Testament, the 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 texts are pretty sparse, honestly, about singing. We believe they did it. We read about them doing it. We read about, for instance, Paul and Silas singing in the jail, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't corporate worship, like church worship, but it, it does show us that they were... Song had a spiritual component to play in their lives. We do read in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, where uh, Paul says, What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Um, I think they're highlighting to them in their context about the fact that you needed to do everything you did for edification Mm. and to be understood. And so if we're singing, we need to make sure that it's understandable and that we're communicating truth and knowledge and not just getting an adrenaline rush, right, Mm -hmm. or some kind of spiritual feeling. It needs to be communicating truth. Additionally, James 5.13, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Um, and in the rest of the New Testament, we read about Paul, or excuse me, I'm reading my notes now. Paul and Silas singing in prison, but we've also got the other two commands to sing. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, and Colossians three sixteen, where Paul tells the Ephesian church to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And he tells the church at Colossae, tell the word of Christ, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So first of all, let's ask this question basically. Has God commanded us to sing whenever we get together for church? Yes. 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 Ditto. Yes. Ditto. Yes. Through the apostle, we are commanded to sing. What has he commanded us to sing? Can we just sing any song? No. What, is, what are the criteria? Uh, I mean, it's what you just said uh, that Paul talked about. It needs to admonish each other. It needs to be re- centered on the word of God, right? It needs to teach us, exhort us. It needs to do those things uh, in order for it to be a song that should be sung when we gather together as the church. And I think we need to be let the people know what we mean by that too. When we say when we gather together at the ch- as the church, we're talking about our time to come together for corporate worship on Sunday. And we do that twice on Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday evening is when we, we have a desire for people to come together uh, to worship. So we're not talking about when we gather together at the potluck, we should sing. I used to hate that as a kid. Like, why do I have to sing again? Stop making me do this over and over again. Tim doesn't have the joy of the Lord in his heart. <laughs> right? But that's what we're... I, I, don't want, I don't want to assume that everybody knows what we're talking about. We're not Good. saying anytime church people get together, it is commanded that they sing. Right. I don't think we would agree to that. Right. But what we do agree to is when we come together as the church in corporate worship, for us that's Sunday. Right. Uh, is to sing, and it needs to be centered on his word and done in a way that encourages each other, challenges each other in his word, and helps us grow in his word. And, as you said, is understandable, right, and can be done in that way. Very good. So, like the Psalms of the Old Testament, why did Paul, he mentions that there, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I mean, Psalms are from the Old Testament, but I mean, could we sing those today? I mean, is that still God's word to us today? I do sing them. Uh, I don't, we don't sing them on Sunday morning too often. We sing little bits of them in songs, right? Songs will start with it. Um, But I've seen a resurgence in Christian music of people just singing specifically scripture, Mm -hmm. uh, the Psalms being one. And there was a group that I really enjoyed listening to who does that. And so I would listen to them in my, in my car. Corner room? Corner room, yeah. Yeah. It was the group that I liked. Um, And so my family would too. And the next thing you know, you're, you have scripture memorized Mm -hmm. from song Mm -hmm. and it's, it's extremely helpful. What is the goal of singing? When, in the New Testament church, what were they doing? What, is the, what does Paul tell them, and what is the goal for the New Testament church to sing? Is it different from the Old Testament? Hmm. I don't know that answer fully. I mean, I, I can give a shot at it. Um, I think there's a sense in singing. It seems like in the Old Testament, well, I don't know if this is true. Spencer, you set us up here for failure. <laughs> well, I, um, so I think there's, I think you could say there's a few different things that would fit under the, the question of what is the goal of singing. Yeah, I would say number one, as we saw back in Exodus, our singing is a response to what God has done. We sing in response to that, and that's that's a way to praise God. I mean, simply to glorify Him. If all you're doing is telling God how great He is for what He's done, goal accomplished. Yep. That's part of what you're doing. Another goal is that you actually, you are teaching each other. You know, um, you know, I know that here 
uh, and again, you know, this might not fit explicitly under this podcast, but we try, and I know that uh, Pastor Matt really tries to match the songs that we sing to fit the theme or even the scripture of the passage that is preached. And there's a way that that song might teach you something about that passage of scripture for the day in a way that simply preaching it didn't do that. So it, it teaches you. But I think also it, it allows us to uh, to take God's word, to put, to put it in our hearts, to fully implant it, and for us to to respond in the way that, that we do that. One of the things I noticed from, from those verses that we read, he says, um, to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with what? With your heart. With heart yeah. it, I think one of the things that singing can do is align your heart with mm-hmm. the truth so that it is you truly take it in for mm-hmm. what it is, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I know that's yeah. a little yeah, that's good. weird, but... That's right really on. good. <laughs> So but real, did you ask what's the difference between the Old Testament singing and the New Testament it, singing? I said, it, mm-hmm. Is there is, is there, there a difference? I guess I'm gonna have to. I think no. I, I would agree. I think I think the clarity of the gospel got clearer right. to degree, but it was right. the same um, same thing, right? Glorify God, edify yeah. your neighbor. Yeah. Glorify. I mean, it's the same mm-hmm. basic thing, isn't it? Letting the word. I mean, what was Moses' song about in Exodus 15? It was about God's destruction of the enemy yeah, and His salvation of His people. Right. right. We sing nothing different. Right. We just have a fuller understanding right. of what that that's is. Right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. So when we sing to each other, we're teaching each other. Yeah, whether good or bad. Right. I mean, that's why. Yeah. That's why good song selection is so important. Because, yeah. you know, there, we need to be speaking truth to each other because what we're doing, I think we need to realize that, is, is potent. Yeah. It, it's potent to, to uh, push us closer to God or to drive us farther away from Him. So we want to make sure that the songs are spiritually and theologically correct according to God's holy word. Mm-hmm. And this is why we have, we're going to have a second podcast on music when it yeah. comes to application because... This might be an overstatement, but Satan has used music greatly to deceive uh, people yeah. and to deceive Christians into starting to believe non-truths. And the, and the gateway to that was music. Um, music is great. We've been saying that. It's biblical, and we'll mm-hmm. continue to say that. Um, but, but Satan has found a way to use it to destroy, and we'll talk more about that in the in the next podcast, but that's why it's so important we get this right. Yeah, I agree. I think um, as we as we draw this to a close, um, perhaps the most musical book in the New Testament is Revelation, <laughs> and um, I think that that's significant. We don't have time to go all through it, but it is interesting that God's people are singing a new song. Revelation is filled with singing, and interestingly, in, in Revelation 15, they sing the song of Moses we're told, <laughs> and the song of the Lamb. I think what's, what's, what's amazing here is that when Moses and the people of Israel were praising the Lord, they were praising Jesus Christ. We're told in Jude 5, and this is a verse I don't know that we oftentimes think about, but Jude tells us that whenever, that Jesus was the one who brought them out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So whenever they were singing to the Lord, they were ultimately, whether or not, now they didn't know his name was going to be Jesus and everything, but they were singing to Jesus, ultimately. Whenever David was singing at the temple, looking at the lamb, 
And whenever he was writing the Psalms, and, and you know, he was writing that Psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They were praising Jesus Christ. Right. And whenever Isaiah is looking ahead, and he sees really good things, and he's saying, we need to sing, he's seeing Jesus Christ. All of these saints of the Old Testament, Moses, David, Isaiah, and all the believers of the Old Testament, looking forward, were singing the same song substantially that we are. That's mm -hmm. the song of the Lamb. Yeah. And so I think that that's, that's powerful for us as we think about what we're doing today. We're doing what has been done since the, since, since the first promise of grace entered the world in Genesis 3.15, and men started singing and responding to God's salvation. We're continuing on that, this practice of addressing one another in the gospel, warning each other of, the, 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 of, of God's wrath against sin, but also promising and addressing one another uh, with the promises of the gospel mm. and calling each other back, reminding each other as long as it is today <laughs> mm -hmm. to come back mm. to God. So I think I've got a few conclusions here. You guys can tell me if I'm wrong or right, but we sing because God commands us to sing in the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. He tells yeah. us to. We sing in response to the Father's salvation in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's from the front of the Bible to the end yeah. that we're responding. We sing what's our content centered upon? about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all centered upon that. And we sing, how should we sing? We sing like God's beloved children. We're supposed to act in a holy way and in an understandable way. And we sing in order to glorify God, our Father, and to edify our neighbor and ourselves. So we're to teach each other and to glorify God. I think that those are, that's a helpful way to summarize, in a sense, what we're saying the biblical message of singing is. Mm -hmm. Is there any other thoughts you'd like to add before we uh, wrap this up? And again, this is, I would say, centered on corporate worship when we're gathered yes. together in the, yeah. in the points that you just made. Yes. You know, we're not, we're not saying you, you shouldn't sing in your car, you know, and things right. like that. No, we're right. talking about this is how it should be done in corporate worship. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, because we're not talking about concerts we're not talking about right. um, you singing in your car or at your house or on the piano or whatever. All this, we're just talking about when we get together as church. End of story. Mm -hmm. Right? That's all we're talking about here. Um, you know, outside of this, my kids, they like to sing Merle Haggard. But we're not going <laughs> to sing Merle Haggard here in the church, right? So... I don't really know who that is, so. Yeah. Oh, wow. Sorry. You're really holy. <laughs> I mean, I know the name, okay. but. I don't know who it is either. Sounds Southern. Alicia probably does. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know. Wow. Sounds and you southern. went to what Walnut Log Baptist Church or whatever? <laughs> One Sunday. That's right. deer in the back of the we truck. Went down in the river to pray. <laughs> All right. Um, Singing about that. <laughs> who shall wear stone? All right. We should close. All right. See, All right. <laughs> we don't know the words, actually. All right. <laughs> So when you're in your kitchen and you're making pancakes and you make up a stupid song about pancakes, it's it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you this was a blessing to you. Um, we'll catch you next time.